0: Hello and welcome to the High School Musical Show, where we talk about high school musicals and not high school musical. I'm your unfortunate underclassman who does Shakespeare with a lot of hand movements, Andy.
1: And I'm your funny one-liner in the princess track, Megan.
0: Well, Megan, we we've reached a nexus point. We have reached a point where we are neither talking about a musical or or I believe high school
1: production. <laughs> this is still well. See here, we have a fun technicality in that I did the show twice: once in high school, once in college. So I have Ugh. a lot of material to pull from.
0: I'm that is exhilarating to me, and I'm very excited to mine that hole. We are also this is our first encounter with the Bard himself, and yeah, which is very exciting. What what show are we talking about today, Megan?
1: We are doing our first play, A Midsummer Night's Dream by William Shakespeare.
0: A Midsummer Night's Dream. uh, It is written by William Shakespeare and it was premiered on January 1st, 1605. Um, One of Shakespeare's most popular plays of all time.
1: For sure. And in high schools, particularly, uh, Dramatics Magazine, for those of you that were in like International Thespian Society and got that free uh, magazine. Wait, I think I did get that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. They put out every year a yearly ranking of the most produced plays and Mm. musicals uh, in high school. And for God, probably like the millionth year in a row, Midsummer makes the list. In 2020, 2021, it was the fourth fourth most produced play in high schools in the US. Wow.
0: Which, I mean, there's a lot, I think, that contributes to that. One, I, I think a lot of high schools want to do Shakespeare, but they don't really uh-huh. know what a good entry point is because Shakespeare is, is hard. For um, sure. And, and A Midsummer's Night's Dream is not particularly difficult. It's, it's right. pretty straightforward,
1: I feel like. Also, if you're coupling it with a big budget for your musical, this has no royalty fees. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. It's all in the open domain.
0: Oh, that makes sense. All yeah. of
1: Shakespeare's, so it's the cheap option. <laughs>
0: it's not like Shakespeare's ghost is cash, cashing in right. checks so yeah that that does make sense <laughs> my struggle with th- this show and in and, and prepping for this episode was that I really struggled having thoughts about this show that didn't sound like I was in an English class like <gasps> I I really I and and maybe it's because I haven't done like big productions of Shakespeare before but like whenever I try to think about like what I feel about a Shakespeare show it just feels like I'm coming up with like an Uh, an AP English essay or whatever. Well, but I
1: think that's super fair because I think for a lot of people, their first exposure or main exposure to Shakespeare is in an English class. And Mm -hmm. I feel like that's where a lot of the bad taste in people's mouth comes from is that this was never meant to be analyzed as like a work of literature. It's meant to be seen and heard. Yeah. So I think that's super fair.
0: Yeah. Speaking of seeing and hearing, Megan, can you hit me with a plot summary?
1: Absolutely. So if you're at all familiar with Shakespeare, you know that to really recount an in-depth summary is just to say the whole play. So here's my really trying to narrow down what happens. Um... So this is a Shakespearean comedy that takes place in Athens and essentially revolves around the rulers of Athens, Theseus and Hippolyta, who are getting married. There are three main subplots around this major plot.
0: Oh, God. The one
1: of the lovers, which consists of Hermia, Lysander, Helena, and Demetrius, and they're just love triangle that changes back and forth. The mechanicals, who do the play within the play for the wedding, um, and they are Peter Quince, who runs the troupe, Nick Bottom, the weaver, also called Bottom, who is the biggest ass of the group, pun intended, (laughs) Francis Flute, the bellows mender, Robin Starveling, the tailor, Tom Snout, the tinker, and Snug, the joiner. And then the last one is of the fairies, Uh, the king and queen of the fairy world, Oberon and Titania, who are uh, they're fighting. Um, Robin Goodfellow, also known as Puck, who's Oberon's right hand man who causes most of the mischief in the play. And then the court of lesser fairies that kind of revolves around the two of them. And so long story short, all these people, except for Theseus and Hippolyta, (laughs) Meet in the woods. Crazy magic shit happens with a flower. Everyone comes out of the woods with all of their problems solved, and everybody gets married because it's a Shakespearean comedy.
0: Yeah, and marriage is the only way that people in love can find happiness. Absolutely, it's the only way it's allowed to end. Yeah, it's it's a fairly. Am I am I correct in saying that this is just essentially like a large comedy of errors? Like it's just.
1: Yeah, very much. It's very um, Shakespeare's, like, it's it's heavy in, like, the, the dick joke kind of low-class humor mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. that you'll find very emblematic of Shakespeare, especially, like, within the mechanicals. Um, there's a lot of the kind of... Acts of God stuff that Shakespeare does where it's like, oh, magically it all works out right before act five with our fun fairy magic. Yeah, it's super fun. I think this is, like you mentioned, like one of the most approachable Shakespeare plays Mm -hmm. because the language, while still Shakespearean language, I think a lot of it makes sense if you can see the show because so much of it is like physical humor, kind of body humor. Yeah,
0: and I think... Right off the bat, Megan, and I don't want to be, I don't, I hate that I have become the hater of this podcast, <laughs> but I just have a really, I just didn't like this show, and I'll tell you why. <gasps> really? I, I just don't, the 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 funny thing is that they're wrong. Like, the funny thing is that they don't know what's going on, and I don't really find that all too compelling. Like, the, the, the core plot is about the four lovers. Um... Uh, essentially getting fucked over by the fairies. Uh, two of the the b- boys are both compelled to fall in love with one of the girls, but it's not the girl they're supposed to be in love. One of them is supposed to, It's just like, I just don't find it very compelling because it all just gets like, like you said, it, it's like deus ex machina. Mm-hmm. Like they magically fall in love with one girl and then by the end of the show, it's magically set to right. Like it doesn't feel... I don't know, it doesn't feel very active or, or interesting to me, but I know I know that this show has really enduring quality, and I've seen it live before, and it's, it's funny, and I've seen it, uh, I, I watched a version that was filmed live uh, in prep for this episode, and it's funny, but it just doesn't, it just doesn't stick with me.
1: See, I think that's so funny. When I was watching, um, I watched Julie Taymor's version mm-hmm. uh, in prep for this episode, which also go watch it if you can. It's super good. Um, but what stuck out for me more than anything is I think the the main crux of like the highlight of the show that it that this show really rides on is the story of the lovers. And to me, the whole time watching it, I was like, ah, this is why we do it in high school because. Every one of these scenes, I'm like, God, how freaking relatable. Like, I think you would be hard pressed to be in a high school audience and not have someone who can relate to the feeling of jealousy because their friend is the one that gets all the attention or that feeling of like love so deep that it's like, I will die if this Mm. doesn't happen for me. Or even just like the way that uh, when Lysander and Demetrius are both... You know, uh, enchanted to fall in love with Helena, they're just like bro off is so funny and yeah. so relatable because I'm like, God, I have seen this. I have seen grown human men do this. And I so, also,
0: I also really love uh, uh, Helena's like response to that is like, "Stop messing yes. with me!
1: Stop, oh, God! Oh my God!" When I was going through, I was trying to take note of every time. Because that's the other thing is this show has a lot of monologues specifically within the lovers that are considered like some of the most overused audition monologues. But for good reason. They're really well written. And they get it like the core of emotions. They're really active. But every time I went to write down like, oh, I love this one. I love this one. It was literally just every lover scene that I was like, God, I love (laughs) this. I love this. So I was like, I have to stop.
0: Yeah. 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 What I... Maybe it would be a good time to chat about just, like, our feelings about Shakespeare in general. Um, yeah. Are you—I know that there are, like, theater people who are, like, so in, in love with Shakespeare that, like, they're basically sucking him off 24-7. What is your kind of relationship with, with him?
1: Oh, I think that was definitely me. I remember yeah. so acutely being in my freshman year English class and us talking about, like, what our goals for high school were. And I'd known these people for maybe a week. And I was sitting down and I was like, my goal for high school is to be able to read the entire works of Shakespeare by oh the time my I graduate. Oh, my God. Because I was so, like, I'm a theater person, but, like, people think of theater people as dumb. But, like, I'm a smart theater I'm person. I'm one of the so smart ones. I love Shakespeare.
0: Yeah. i <laughs> think when you're so elitist. When you're in high school, like, the way to set yourself apart as a theater kid is to be like serious about Shakespeare and to be, able yeah, to, to be talk
1: like, I actually yeah. understand mm-hmm. Shakespeare. I don't think it's that mm-hmm. hard. Like, mm-hmm. God, it was such a dick.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's douchey. Yeah. I, very similarly, in high school, I was really into Shakespeare. I, I like read it in my free time to like try to be cooler or whatever. Um, but yeah, I, I appreciate his stuff and I, um, really understand how it's formational, but I mean, I just there's just so much bad Shakespeare in the world that I that is so I'm not into it. But when it's good, like unless someone when it's is- good, it's amazing.
1: God damn, it yeah. fucking hits. Unless
0: someone is going to give me a time machine so I can go back in time and see Catherine Tate and David Tennant in much ado about nothing, I don't want to watch Shakespeare. But that's just me. <laughs>
1: See yeah I think I think for me a uh, kind of a turning point in Shakespeare was by far in a way like the best production I've ever seen in my life TV film movie live whatever it was a production of Romeo and Juliet at the Globe that I saw on a study abroad trip broke me in half and mm, rebuilt yeah. me like it was the most revolutionary thing I've ever seen and I was like wow, that to me is the epitome of good acting. Like, that is what I aspire to, is to tell a story like that. So I think that just always runs in my mind in the back burner now. I also work in the box office at a Shakespeare theater, so, like, I have heard As You Like It probably 50 times (laughs) by now. (laughs) So I feel like that's also helping.
0: Yeah. I I also appreciate that, like, even though Shakespeare was writing for a very specific time— There is a timeless quality to
1: it. I think that's what endures about Shakespeare is that, like, the themes that he hits on are ones that it doesn't really matter what day and age you're in. Like, in this play, just the idea of, like, love and going wrong and jealousy and angst and anguish and, and, yeah, yeah, young love. Like, those are such relatable themes and qualities no matter what era you are living in. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Um God, I don't. Again, I don't really know what to say about the show that isn't, like, very, very academic. Um, For sure. I think... I think
1: one thing we can do is kind of talk about each of the the subplots, yeah, um, and kind of where that lives. Because, uh, yes, technically, the show takes place around Theseus and Hippolyta.
0: They're in there for like In like maybe
1: 10 minutes (laughs) of the play. Like they are just the plot device that the rest of the play goes around. Mm
0: -hmm. We've talked about the lovers. Uh, Hermia and Lysander are in love and escape to the woods to uh, uh, escape Hermia's father's order for Hermia to marry Demetrius. And Mm -hmm. Demetrius uh, is being pursued by Helena, who's Hermia's friend um and their love you said love triangle but there are four people in it so just wanna say well it. <laughs> it's
1: kind of like opposing love triangles <laughs> true, that for true, a while true, 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 it's true. like hermia at the center with demetrius and lysander opposing and then it switches because of that magic flower yeah. to being like helena at the center and lysander and demetrius opposing her
0: yeah um yeah again i think this th- because this is the core plot line I think because I'm not very interested by like oh isn't it funny that they get it wrong because they're under magic I just don't I don't find that particularly compelling um but we've kind of talked about them and that plot line anything else you want to add to that Megan
1: I I will say that I think one of the like funniest scenes in Shakespeare and I even having seen some like pretty bad you know just like normal high school like it's not gonna be that great Shakespeare production this scene just like always freaking slaps is the scene when both Lysander and Demetrius have been enchanted to fall in love with Helena and they're going at it and Hermia gets like real pissed and so all of them are just fucking going at it and it's like the most like shirts off like I'm the biggest, like, bro in the group. That scene to me is so funny every single time. Yeah. I think it's so easy to understand both because of the implied physicality of the scene, because it is so just, like, hyper-masculine and physical, but also the writing is so clear and also so tender. Like Hermia and Helena talking to each other about, like, I've loved you for so long. We're so close. Is this really how this is going to go down? Like, oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. That hits.
0: Hermia is also, like, I'll say... She's a really interesting character. Like it's not just like a kind of cut and paste romantic comedy uh, a lead female. Like she yeah. has this like passion for Lysander, but she's also like this woman of integrity. And 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 yeah, it, it it's not it's it's not worthless. <laughs> yeah,
1: like if you were looking for like strong female characters, Hermia yeah. and Helena are freaking great. They're yeah. so much fun to play. They have awesome monologues, awesome scenes. This is a great show to highlight both male and female characters, which I think is kind of rare. A lot of the shows we talk about tends to kind of lean towards supersede, one. Yeah, yeah, one group or the other. I think this is a really solid play to pick, where everybody gets the chance to shine.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so the next subplot is the mechanicals, which yeah. are essentially actors hired to put on a play for the wedding of uh, Theseus and Hippolyta. Um, mm-hmm. They are putting on this production of Pyramus and Thisbe, which is yes. sort of, like, the equivalent to, like, ancient Greece's Romeo and Juliet's Yeah, exactly.
1: Um, and. Like, just imagine the worst performed version of Romeo and Juliet, yeah. and that is what this is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, this part
0: I actually did find really funny. Like, I was LOLing, actually.
1: I um, love the freaking mechanicals. They're so funny.
0: I think part of it is that whole, like... Oh, it's theater about theater. Because uh-huh. like as an actor, especially in modern adaptations, they really lean into like the douchey, stupid, overcomplicated, whatever. Yeah. And the then, absurdity
1: of what it is we do, that we yeah. take it so seriously that we yeah. are all playing pretend for a living.
0: Mm-hmm. Um essentially, I mean, we'll we'll get into how the mechanicals kind of intersect with the fairies, but essentially they're practicing their play. Stuff goes wrong, then they kind of put it together at the end, and they're worried that people won't like their play and they'll get in trouble, but then they're doing so bad that people find it funny, um, which is essentially a summary of my entire theater history. Um, (laughs) But uh, yeah, I I really like it. This is really fun. This is really all of the players have like really good bits, and Mm -hmm. um, we'll get into it when you talk about your productions. But even if you're one of the smaller players, like you have the chance to shine.
1: Absolutely. I also just love that it's like, it's very like, uh, kind of like Three Stooges kind of humor. Mm, It's like mm. super like low brow humor that's very funny. And like, when they actually perform Pyramus and Thisbe, it's kind of just like five minutes of like dumb joke after dumb joke, mm. and it's very very funny.
0: And it's 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 so weird because it's after the conflict has been resolved. Like it yeah. Shakespeare was. It does literally... feel like
1: the part where you're like, we should be done with the play now. Oh, there's more. There's yeah. more play. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> um... It, it's, it's a great time, and it intersects with the story of the fairy king and queen, Oberon and Titania. Um, they are feuding over Titania's page boy that Oberon wants, and then he yeah. gets his kind of sprite friend to... Uh, uh, put the flower on Titania and she'll fall in love with an animal and then they decide that one of the mechanicals name is bottom and so they turn him Mm -hmm. into a ass or with an ass head and make Titania fall in love with him and then haha isn't that so funny and then the two hot people get back together essentially
1: yeah I'm gonna be very real out of all of the subplots I get so bored by the Titania Oberon plotline. And, like, I feel bad because, like, I've, like, even re-watching for prep for this, I'm like, these are world-class actors with a great director, an incredible spectacle, and they're, like, doing an amazing job. But I am still so fucking bored every time the two of them are, because they just, like, spit out page-long monologues at each other. And the whole thing about the change thing, boy, is like, you guys, it's not that deep. Just share custody. You're Mm -hmm. already married. Just Mm co-parent this child.
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, If you find it boring, I will recommend. So uh, I watched the Royal National Theater production of A Midsummer Night's Dream, uh, which was in, I think, 2019, like right before the pandemic. Um, And they released a home Uh, uh, or a taped version of it to raise money for like the act an actor's fund or whatever Uh Um, and it's Gwendolyn Christie from Game of Thrones playing Titania and but the roles of Titania and Oberon are swapped so Oberon is the one who falls in love with Bottom um, uh, and Titania is like this more like regal and and embarrassed like woman it's it, I, I found it really fun um, again I don't really like this play so it's hard for me to determine whether it was yeah. better than other people but I think it's it, it kind of leans into the comedy more of because otherwise it's just kind of creepy
1: and like yeah. not fun it definitely has some weird like that plot line specifically has some weird like non-consent vibes to me that yeah. I'm not totally down with yeah. I to me I think the thing is that what makes that chunk of play successful when you do it, and I say successful loosely because I, <laughs> I just think the writing is not particularly successful. And I don't think it's actors' fault. I think they're doing the best they can with literally right, page-and-a-half-long right. monologues about, like, when it was this time in the earth and the sun did this and the moon. And you're like, I get it. Give me the spark notes. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what makes it successful is just spectacle,
0: yeah. So yeah, to yeah, yeah.
1: me, that's where I'm like, that's not actually the writing. That's your design team. That's your tech team. That's yeah. not the story itself. And that's why I think that area is particularly prone to failure. And mm-hmm. I... like high school setups where you're not going to have that multimillion dollar budget.
0: Right. I got to send you... A clip from this production because when Oberon falls in love with Bottom, they literally lift the bed off of the stage and fly it around the the audience while Beyonce's "Love on Top" plays and aerial performers like dance yeah. around off the stage. Exactly,
1: yeah. that's the same kind of thing with Julie Taymor. Is like every mm. time the fairies come out, it's beautiful. It's incredible. Yeah. They do all of this amazing work with like the allegory of the bed and sleep but again i'm like this is spectacle it's not story
0: yeah and i think that's kind of what the fairies are designed to like the fairy world is meant to contrast the world of like theseus and Abolita, sure. where it's very patriarchal it's very in control and that's one of the reasons why i like this gender swap version is because it directly contrasts that where titania is the one who's in control, and she's the one calling the shots. Um, but, yeah, overall, I mean, I feel like we need to talk more about the show, but I don't really know what to say about it other than what I've already said. Like, I I, I appreciate Shakespeare so much, and I know—I mean, we'll eventually talk about other Shakespeare shows. I mean, we really can't avoid that.
1: Yeah, um, absolutely.
0: I think the show offers a lot for a high school because every, every role has— It's moments and it's time to shine. I I was just thinking we barely talked about Puck, but, like, that is a great, like, little standout.
1: Yes, we have to we have to talk about Puck because I so Puck essentially is like Oberon's right hand person, right hand fairy. Yeah, yeah. And they're the one who like facilitates the mischief in the play because the whole thing is that like there's this magic flower that if the juice of the flower gets dropped in someone's eyes, the first thing they see when they wake up is who they're in love with. So he's the one or they're the one going around and like putting the juice in everybody's eyes and kind of causing all this mischief. But like to me, the thing that stood out and I feel this way about every production I've seen and been a part of, even if it was not done intentionally, is Puck to me feels like one of the first really, like, gender-neutral characters. Right. Like, Puck doesn't really... Like, yes, we use he-him pronouns because that's just kind of the linguistic default, but, like, there's nothing about this character that specifies male or female, even in, like, how they're coded or how they act. Mm-hmm. And I think that's so cool, just to have a character that's like, I just am...
0: Yeah, he Shakespeare will sometimes pull that up again. He pulled that up, uh, he played that in The Tempest as well with Ariel. Uh, yeah, uh, this kind of viewing the kind of spiritual magical world as more gender, even like the dynamics between Titania and Oberon kind of like buck in the face of decorum as far as like gender roles. And,
1: mm-hmm. uh, uh, and Titania and, is super badass.
0: Yeah. And, and I mean, she she has an affair and like that's like funny mm-hmm. and it's not that serious or whatever. Um. Uh, so like sexuality and gender are really played with in the fairy world. And puck, yeah, puck is traditionally a gender neutral role. So like women and men have played them, and uh, it's just weird and fun. And I think I think that's uh, for a high school. I think that's a really uh, having so many roles where you can have like star moments. Um, yes, is 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 really powerful. And and I mean the benefit of Shakespeare is that like I mean there have been productions of Shakespeare set in like the future and Mm -hmm. in like the fifties and on Mars and like, you can, this translates to anything. So, I mean, my mind was always like, oh, my God, if you don't have a costume department, you can just have them wear their normal clothes, and, like, they'll be Oh, <laughs> my God.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like, this could pl- take place, like, right here, right now, and still make total sense. Yeah,
0: it could take place in a high school. You could all be high school students, and it would 100%. be fine. A
1: hundred percent. The yeah. lovers, all of their stuff happens in the hallways every day. It would make perfect sense. Yeah,
0: yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, I think... I I, I I think that's enough. I think we've reached our contractual obligation.
1: Yeah, I think we're good. I feel like, listen, here's the other thing, is that this play is so ubiquitous at this yeah. point that I feel like everyone has had some connection to this play, whether it was reading it in an English class, being in the show, seeing the show. You likely have a pretty good idea of what the show is and probably have your own opinions based yeah. on said experience.
0: And, like, it has informed so much about, romantic comedy just in general so like i i i feel confident that people understand what this show is about and i yeah overall you know not a bad shakespeare show there it's popular for a reason it's really funny it's really approachable and i really i i will say i really appreciate that it is kind of like a direct uh contrast with what a lot of people think Shakespeare is it yes. is very low humor like mm-hmm. physical um approachable and very
1: much yeah it's super yeah. approachable if this was your first exposure to Shakespeare I would venture you you would get a lot of the show and a lot of the plot
0: yeah because un- like even if you're someone like me who kind of leans more towards dramatic than comedy mm-hmm. uh these monologues and this script is so much easier to understand when you're yes. just watching it, like, yes, and you don't have, you know, an AP English teacher being like, uh-huh. um, a cuckold is someone who, um, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, let's go ahead and take a break and then we'll be back for act two. Back. I hope you had a lovely intermission. Um, the sales of the popcorn and candy bars benefit our booster club. So uh, thank you so much for supporting your local high school theater. Um, so this week, we are talking about not only one high school production, but one college production. Yeah. Miss Negan. Um, you were in A Midsummer Night's Dream.
1: Yes, I've been in the show twice and have essentially played variations on the same character. Both times, I was a mechanical. Mm -hmm. So I know that track super well.
0: So let's start with the high school one, since that came first. Um, For sure. Walk me through kind of where you were at and and what all went down.
1: Yes, yes, yes. Okay, let me set the scene. It is sophomore year, and Mm. like we've talked about, plays tend to be the place that's more upperclassmen. You know they're a little harder to get into because yeah. you don't have the big ensemble choruses, so it's like a status symbol a little bit to get cast <laughs> in the play. okay,
0: okay.
1: Let's go, let's go. Um, so I'm just a sophomore. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus no, but I think Christ. I was one of like, mm, I want to say two, maybe three. I just, I remember very distinctly it being like this was the time that I was in theater where I was like, oh shit, I'm like getting in good with like the upperclassmen theater kids. Like, we get
0: it, Megan. You were very my talented. Friends.
1: No, no, no. Just like in the sense where like I will like hang out with them at Cast parties, and right, I, it right, was right, just right. like, you know, they're like, oh, little Megan. Peugeot, because I just got called by my last name in high school in theater because there was an upperclassman whose name was Megan. So I was just Pigot or Peugeot. And this was like, I loved it so much, though. It was like, oh, Mm. my God, I'm finally cool. This was also like the first real play I'd ever done in my life. Really? Like, I think I'd maybe done a production of, like, James and the Giant Peach when I was, like, 10 at a community theater. And I I don't remember if there was music involved or not, but this is the first play that I distinctly remember as being, like, this is not a musical. Full Mm. stop, not a musical. Mm -hmm. So it was, like, a big deal for me to be, like, oh, shit, like, I can get by on just acting? Incredible.
0: (laughs) So who did you play?
1: I played Snug the Joiner, which in the play within a play plays the lion,
0: Okay, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha.
1: Which was so fun.
0: Do you remember, like, what was special? Did you, how did you guys, like, adapt the, the the show?
1: So I think we had, like, a pretty straight adaptation from what I can recall, which also let's take a moment to remember that we're talking about events almost 10 years past now, so it's very <laughs> oh, dim geez. recall. Oh,
0: jeez. Oh, jeez. 10 years. <laughs> Jesus Christ.
1: We're old. Um... Uh, yeah, so from what I remember, it was just, like, very straight. We were in, like, kind of loose, Mm period-esque costumes, um uh it was like very like set in the forest kind of generic you're pretty like straight adaptation of the right, show
0: right you didn't do anything wild or crazy or...
1: no it wasn't like this production is set in our school or on martin no it was just yeah. like we're in the woods it's athens it's normal
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. do you remember anything notable about like your performance or bits that you kind of found and, and kind of leaned into or oh, anything like that? Oh, for
1: sure. Because I would hold on to this bit and use it again in college because it was so successful for me. Um, so the big thing about the mechanicals is that, like, if you are not uh, Peter Quince or Bottom you speak maybe like four or five times in the show, max and snug, the joiner literally, I think you speak three times in the play. And I was like, okay, you know, like we don't have a lot to work with. Let's make it work. And so my whole bit also is just kind of the way of like covering my actual feelings about being like this baby in the show with all these people that I looked up to was to be like, Okay, this person is really scared of performing Mm -hmm. because all of the lions are like, "Um, do you have the lines? Like, please give it to me because I'm slow of study and I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. So I was like, I'm just very frightened and very scared child who (laughs) comes out to do the whole lion speech. And like the whole time we're practicing, it's like these tiny like cat meow kind of not like real roars, like too Mm. afraid to go there. And so then when we're in that final play within a play, I give the long speech of like the, you know, it's it's me. I'm a person, not a lion. Don't be scared. Which was funny because it was like, oh, well, obviously we she's not see. a lion. We she's so see. shit. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But then like at the very end when Thisbe comes out and I'm supposed to roar, I do like a real actual lion roar for the first time and like scare Thisbe and like All of the other people on stage, like, start applauding because they're like, oh, my God, they, like, actually did it. And every time I did it, like, the whole audience would be like, yes, she did it and, like, give me applause. And so then it was after that, like, oh, yeah, I'm a fucking badass. So then I would, like, swagger around the stage and, like, walk off like a badass. And Mm -hmm. I would get, like, an ovation every time i walked off that stage cuz i just walked off the stage like fuck yeah i'm a badass yeah, and the I audience just did was like that, oh my god she's so funny and i was like that <laughs> this is this is a good feeling right here
0: was that i mean was that the thing that kind of like gave you the bug like the theater bug
1: i don't know i i've been i was like in such a like wishy-washy like i've always loved theater but i didn't right. think about it professionally until like Honestly, senior year of college is when I really decided. But I don't know; it was definitely a moment. Senior of year being of college
0: like, after studying musical theater. God, senior, <laughs> oh,
1: <laughs> senior year of high school. <laughs> okay, I was about
0: to be like Megan. That was a bad time to consider doing. To theater decide
1: professing. now, I should do this. Um, yeah, but it was just like it's one of those cool moments where like you remembered as a defining moment of like oh I figured something out here. Like right. I figured out how to take a role that. Can be super forgettable and like make something of it, and Mm -hmm. I was like, "Fuck Mm -hmm. yeah!" So that for me was definitely like the the lesson of like there are no small parts, only small actors. Like you can do something out of Mm -hmm. just about anything.
0: And so then we flash forward what four years, five years, six years?
1: It was my junior year of college. Right, right. I remember. Yeah. So I think like five years.
0: And Um, you're playing a mechanical again
1: again because of course uh listen you you i i understand i fit in that niche and you know what i'm very okay with yeah, it yeah um i played robin starveling the tailor, yeah who again based on the lines let like uh I had a couple people, once I told them this, they're like, you took the cheap way out. I was like, no, no, no. I had very astute analysis, thank you very much. Like, they always speak after this other character. It's very, like, hesitant. They don't really take a lot of authority upon themselves. Mm-hmm. So it was, again, like, I'm very scared. I don't want to be here. My friend dragged me here. Mm-hmm. I'm not a good actor. And then <laughs> there's uh, very similarly in their part in the play, within the play. You play the moon, written... right? <laughs> yes you play the man in the moon um (laughs) and it's so fun you come out with like these fucking like sticks and like a dog on a rope and it's hilarious um but it's literally written into the script that you say your first line three times just in a row and so for me it was the idea of like trying to stay it but like not really being able to get the words out and like eventually bucking up the courage to like just fucking scream it the last time and I remember mm. in rehearsal the first time we did it we I had never specifically addressed that that's what I was going to do with my director like we talked about that approach to the character and she was like yeah yeah yeah, love it go with that mm-hmm. I, I like spooked everybody in the room they were all like Jesus fucking Christ we know you were going <laughs> to yell <laughs> And it was very funny, but everybody laughed. And it was the same way. We're just like the physicality of being terrified at the beginning because it turns my turn to speak and I don't say anything. And I'm just standing there shaking like every time you get a laugh, when you finally yell and make your moment, every time you get laugh and applause. And I was like, this right here, that's the shit. Yeah.
0: I. So this is oh, – it, it's interesting. The only experience that I have with you in theater is in college. And uh, – Every time, listener at home, any time I would go see Megan in a show, <laughs> she would just be playing the character that made everyone laugh. And yep. she I just remember thinking you were so funny. and be like, that's my friend. I know her. <laughs> I know that person. You were so good. I can't even remember. There was, like... It was in that last bit, or maybe it was in like the rehearsal scene or whatever. But like, it's just like holding something up like a lantern, like an old yep. wizened crone. It was so funny, and and it was it was just really nice to to see that because you're so unfunny in real life. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's just me. You know, I'm I'm the Debbie Downer in real mm, life.
0: Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, when you look at the two productions, were there anything? Was there any like? Drama or uh, romances that uh, really piqued your interest during these times? Uh,
1: that's a good question. I feel like in rewatching Midsummer, I'm like, God, how many like wild showmances must there have yeah, been in like yeah, high yeah, yeah. school productions of the show? It's a sexy so, like, show. It's a sexy show. It's a sexy show. You have a lot of people in love with each other. Like that's just fodder for teenage hormones. Um, But not really. Yeah. Uh, I mean, in high school, mostly because. We were an all-girls school, and not that we didn't have queer people. We had many of them. Um, But I just think, like, of the pairings of people that were in love, so to speak, in the show, no one was interested or swinging that way, or they already had their own thing going on. So I don't think there were any, like, showmances within the show. In college, I think... All of the core people were like already dating somebody else, or were interested. Mm, so mm. I think like maybe there was a showmance, but I don't remember distinctly. And these people are like adults now, so I don't want to. <laughs> we
0: don't want to put them on blast.
1: <laughs> throw them under the bus. So I, I abstain from commenting on that. But I, right. I don't, I don't remember like any yeah. big ones. I will say, um, in my college production. I, as as the man in the moon, I had this stuffed dog that was just straight right. up tied to a rope because the man in the moon is supposed to have a dog. And I would Apparently. drag it on stage. And that, listen, I had a showman's with that beautiful stuffed puppy. He was the <laughs> cutest thing, but he was so floppy that it looked like I was dragging a dead, a dog, dead dog on stage every <laughs> time. Because he would just fall face down right. and just like splayed legs. Mm-hmm. And he was so gross and dirty from like being dragged on the <laughs> stage. <sighs>
0: I I will say I don't remember I, we weren't living together at the time, were we? we you were living together? I think
1: with... we were. I think that was at the tail end of us living okay, together. Okay, yeah, yeah.
0: Um, I don't remember you telling me too much about any drama going on. I do remember I went to go see it. And, uh, I, again, I won't put these people on blast because I'm sure they're listening. But I just remember uh, I was driving you home after I went to go see it. And I was like, so these two people didn't do a good job and you just looked at me and was like we all know they're not doing a good job <laughs> and I just okay we're gonna cut this out but it was um uh yep. Yep. Yep, yep 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 i also remember i'm like kind of a costume snob like i i'm obsessed they with were unfinished they were, they were unfinished. it was just all very much like i don't know i really dislike productions of shakespeare that are just like let's do this in period, I feel like part of the joy of Shakespeare is that it can't be applied anywhere. I would rather someone have a really strong perspective and like costume and set design it in a very particular way. Even if it is period, like do a fun spin on it. Just something to give it some kind of identity other than this is just a straight up period piece with everyone is in realistic costuming for the time blah blah blah. yeah
1: that's super fair and like there were definitely some cool aspects like i remember really um a standout one was like uh titania's dress had like fiber optics in it um and would glow and it was really cool sure Um, but i also just remember this being a time when like our sweet sweet costume people were doing the absolute most because there just weren't a ton of costuming majors And, and i remember this specifically because i was taking costuming that semester and just being like wow, I wish I could be of more actual help to you (laughs) because Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm just, like, I feel bad for them. They have beautiful visions and beautiful character designs, and they mostly came through, but I just felt so bad. Everyone was working so hard. They were doing the most. They just had a team of, like, four actual people trying to do, like, 30 people's full-on fucking period costumes.
0: I mean, that's the story of, like, all technical theater and, like— College and high until school.
1: you get to like actual yeah, like professional theater. Yeah. yeah. Everyone
0: wants to do the moon moon and back, but like you just don't have the funds right. or
1: whatever yes. to do that. Oh I did I did want to say like one thing setting wise that I do remember about our college production that was cool is it was all based around this like giant tree in the mm, middle yeah, of the stage that. that was really fun that would kind of like if i'm remembering correctly would kind of like rise up out of the stage and like turn a little bit to like make the woods that. and yeah, yeah. that part was super super cool i do have a specific memory from a college production that please I please do to share. please do um so we when we were doing Midsummer in college, one of the things we did is there was an extra performance for, like, local area high schools. And so we brought kids in to come see the show, which was really cool. Mm. Um, but on that production, the roof of the theater at this point was, like, a little leaky. And I think we had had a particularly rainy day or week And it was actively flooding on stage during the production. And so everyone was terrified that it was, like, going to hit the lights and, like, spark or do something bad. And they were just like, we're going to keep going. We're just going to go. And so, no joke, you're going on stage and, like, trying to walk around. Full-ass puddles of water on stage that are dripping. Or you're on stage, and I remember standing as the moon and having this fucking drop just hitting me in the head, like, every three seconds. And I'm like, this is the most insane thing. And every time there was a scene transition, all of our stagehands would be coming out with mops and, like, rapid mopping the stage to try to dry it off. And there were just towels backstage. And it's not like it was a, a heavy pour, but enough that, like, there were whole puddles on stage and it was, like, warping the floor a little bit. And so it was like, everybody be super careful because there's so much physical comedy. Yeah. and Yeah. We were all so afraid that someone was going to, like, wipe out or get hurt or get electrocuted. And it was just the most insane thing. We were like, God, we are in the forest. It's fucking raining on stage.
0: This is my PSA to theater directors across the world. Sometimes the show doesn't need to go on. Yeah. Sometimes the show can end. Sometimes (laughs) it's okay for the show to stop and for us to just not die. Oh,
1: yeah. It was so funny, though. We were just like, oh, my God, there's water on the set where there shouldn't be water.
0: (laughs) How did the audience react? Did they, like...
1: I don't think they could see. I don't know if they were able to... It was mostly one of those things where I feel like an actor came off stage and was like, hey, I think there's water on stage. And then it just, like, kept getting Um, worse as the show went on, and we were like fuck, guys, what do we do? And Mm. I just remember the chaos of stagehands trying to run out and, like, towel-dry the set in transition.
0: Jesus Christ. So that
1: was a very specific memory. had nothing to do with the show itself, but, like, God, was that memorable.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, When you look back at these two shows, what did they teach you at those points in time?
1: For the high school production, I think the thing that... I learned the most, as I've kind of already mentioned, but that idea of like there are no small parts, only small actors Um, in the sense that like with not a lot written on the page, there was still so much you could do with the character. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think for me in college, it was really affirming in the sense that at this point I was a declared musical theater major and just kind of the way it was in our department is like if – You were not a musical theater major, it was really hard to get cast in a musical. And if you were not an acting major, it was really hard to get cast in a play. And I was at a time in my career where I was like, I think I actually want to do more just straight acting than I want to do musical theater. I think that's where I live more. And I had been feeling very discouraged and feeling like no one's going to take me seriously as an actor. Like, I don't have what it takes. And so being cast in a straight play was like a big deal for me. And it also just kind of reaffirmed the idea of, like, I'm funny. I can do comedy because Mm -hmm. it was also at a time in my, like, improv career when I was, like, fizzling out because of life stuff. And I was like, I'm not funny. I'm shit. I should not be doing this. And it was like, oh, yeah, okay, I can do this. So it was a really nice moment for me right at the end of junior year. (laughs)
0: I it is so fascinating to me that you at any point in time thought you were not funny because you are the one of the like so good and so funny. And um one one of these episodes, we got to talk about just high school improv and then do like college improv, too. Oh, good. Yeah. You're the so improv good spectacular. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. I I don't know if you know this about me, Megan, but I did win an Improv Olympics one time. Um, Hell yeah. Yeah. You're welcome. You're welcome. Um, yeah. I just I think you're so funny and. What I love, what it sounds like from this, from this episode and from your recollections and also from remembering what it was like to watch you, like one of your biggest strengths is like finding bits and making them not, not making them not too bit like, like it never read as like, okay, well now I'm going to do the funny thing. It read as like, just like someone doing something and it being funny and, uh, I think that's, it It was just such, it's always a pleasure to watch you be funny on stage. Oh, It happens so often. <laughs> um,
1: okay, so Andy, having talked about the show, like knowing all of the characters, hmm. um, in terms of like casting each other, I think, I feel like there's so many ways to go with this. I think you would be really good in, as, like, one of the mechanicals for the yeah. same kind of reason that, like, I think they're very kind of blank slate characters that allow you to bring a lot of your own personality and comedic mm-hmm. sensibilities. And I think you're also someone who's very funny with very smart comedic <laughs> timing. So I feel like you would do super well in that.
0: Yeah. I think, like, a a bottom or, like, a puck could do. I, I could I could fuck around with that.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, yeah.
0: Just something that, like... You gotta bring a lot to. I think, I mean, this again is a mark of my estimation of how much I love you. Like, I just wanna see you as Helena. I think you would do a great oh, job as Helena.
1: God, I would love to, one day.
0: Because, like, you have. Uh... Oh gosh, I have to think of a way to word this in a way that isn't a read.
1: <laughs>
0: because go in, go in. I I look at you and I see pure romantic lead. I look at you Aww. and I'm like, oh my gosh, she's a star. She's a star. She's Emma Stone in La La Land. Come on, guys, see it, do it. Um, but I also <laughs> recognize that casting directors across this great country of ours do not see that. <laughs> In Correct. Basically, right. um,
1: comedic side character, and I'm like, fuck yeah, let's go with that.
0: Yeah, which is like, Helena is like the perfect mixture of that. I think yes, she absolutely. has these really romantic moments, and she also is just like so funny and so physical. And I think you could really fuck some shit up with that.
1: Hell yeah. <laughs> All right. So in terms of high schools doing this production, are we yay or nay?
0: I'm fully yay. I don't like I don't like this show. I've said that 200 times. (laughs) (laughs) I don't particularly like this show. But like, I think it is beneficial for high school students to get exposed to Shakespeare early and to try to attempt it. And I think as far as Shakespeare goes, this is a great place to
1: start. Absolutely. I agree with you 100%. And I think, you know, even if it's not great Shakespeare because it's teenagers doing right. Shakespeare. I think there really is something to be said for exposing kids to like don't just understand Shakespeare as something to be read for like literary devices like it's it's not meant for the kind of rhetorical analysis that we do on all of our other literature like mm-hmm. This is meant to be seen and to be heard. And that's how you understand it. Like, it's really hard to just read Shakespeare. Mm -hmm. So I I think, like you said, it's so great to be able to expose people at an earlier age to, like, this is what it can be. And this is a great entry point. It's a relatively low bar in terms of Shakespeare plays, in terms of, like, barrier to entry. And I think the themes that the show touches on are super relevant to... High school and a high school audience, um, just cut down some of those Oberon yeah. and Titania monologues. Yeah. Sweet Lord, I don't care how good your actors are, cut them down. Everyone. Will fall asleep.
0: <laughs> make make all of them dream ballets. All of those scenes are just interpretive yeah. dance. And or like, give me
1: like that... something pretty to look at while they. Yeah, sleep. yeah, Because yeah, yeah. it doesn't matter how good you are, it's gonna be boring. Mm. They walk <laughs> Sorry, in carrying like
0: sparklers. Like I need someone to be on fire for me to be. Yeah, to yeah, exactly. What do we think it says about high schools and even colleges uh, that this is one of Shakespeare's most popular shows that people keep on doing this? Uh, what what do we think we can kind of learn about high school theater from that?
1: <laughs> I, I think it's a, a good choice for young people, and it's a good way to introduce young people to Shakespeare.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, same. Like, it's 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 just a great time for, for young people. I think if you're going to do a shitty high school production of Shakespeare, do a comedy and most likely do a Midsummer Night's Dream. Midsummer Night's Dream. Oh, my God. We're at the end (laughs) of the episode. I still can't say the (laughs) thing. I will also recommend, obviously, I I think the National Theater production is great. You can find that online for free. Um, There is also an episode in TV show that me and Megan are both big fans of called Please Like Me, um, where one of the characters is in a jukebox version of a Midsummer Night's Dream (laughs) with hits from the 80s, 90s, and now. And that to me is the epitome of like high school theater where someone's yes. like we're going to do an adaptation of the of Shakespeare and we're going to throw in ABBA and like uh-huh. 80s hits and there's going to be river dancing and like it's the
1: theater oh, teacher who's like i you know may not be the broadway star that i thought i would be at this age but mm-hmm. god damn it i'm going to bring art to this school and yeah. you're just like what the fuck
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. oh god um thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode um kind of different we're talking about not a musical and not a high school production but i um, am just so grateful for the time to chat with my gal pal my bosom buddy of course um please uh subscribe and give us a review and share this episode with someone who you think hates high school shakespeare productions as much as i do um and and Bring them into the fold. Um, we'll be back next week. At, to wrap us up, um, uh, mm-hmm. uh, my good mechanical, yes. uh, couldst thou please, oh my god, that's not even funny. It's not even funny for me to pretend to <laughs> speak, <laughs> speak in Shakespearean terms. Um, but please, just give us that resounding lion's roar of a f- farewell um, to let us know that this episode is over.
1: Mm-hmm. <clears throat> The end.